Hey everybody. Um, so yeah, I'm doing the sermon today. I don't usually write everything out this thoroughly. Um, I'm a bit of a like dot point talk kind of person. Um, but what we're talking about today, I, I really felt like it needed to be said in a really particular way. So the reading is happening because the word order was important when I wrote it, not because I'm not, I still see you. Okay. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd start today with a little bit of a, a story, essentially something that happened to me this week. Um, every time I've I've gotten up to to preach, I've always found some incident that's really illuminated what I'm supposed to be talking about. So, you know, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> it really contextualizes what I'm trying to say. Um, and this one was really quite a profound experience. It's probably one I'm going to remember for quite a long time. So I thought I would share it with with all of you. Um, my little three three year old little one one. Um, he does dancing on Fridays and we take him to dancing. And when we come out of dancing, he likes us to park in this like parking tower because it has a door that stinks, right? And so we have to go to the stinky green door. And this is what we do on Fridays. And as you can imagine, a door that stinks is probably like a reason, right? So often there are occasionally there are people around there that maybe are not the safest or maybe, you know, it's right next to a police station. If that gives you the kind of the idea. But he loves the stinky green door, so we go to the stinky green door. And on this particular Friday, there did happen to be someone there that sort of made me a little bit nervous. He had no shirt on. He was pretty filthy, pretty disheveled, um, and he was sitting on the ground and he was just screaming profanities at the air. So someone who was, you know, probably schizophrenic, that's the sort of thing that was happening there. And I have this tiny little blonde boy next to me and I could just feel that moment like oh my god like pull him away that moment that happens that because for whatever reason you become just hyper aware of safety when you have a three-year-old with you and I went to go pull, pull him away and this other part of my brain kicked in just just in time and I'm really really glad it did that was saying he's far enough away from you that you're actually fine and so I chose not to pull him away we just kept walking. We just kept walking past him and I made eye contact with him. And I was just like, hey, I kind of did one of those kind of hey moments just to acknowledge like I see you, you know, we're good. And he's like, and he stopped immediately what he was doing. He stopped the sort of the swearing and the yelling and he stopped and he said, I'm so sorry. Like immediately just said, I'm so sorry, complete change, complete change. And he sort of gestured to my son. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, mate, for like the way that he was talking. And just, just just, completely radically different body language all of a sudden. And I was like, you know, no worries, not a problem. We, and we kept walking to where we were going. And as we sort of rounded the corner, um, my three-year-old was looking back at him and um, he, he sort of was looking and I said to him, do you, want, do you want to say goodbye to him? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And so he turned around and did this like wave at this, at this man. And the man said, Said sort of, it sort of distance-wise yelled out, not because he was being aggressive, but it was like, you look after your mum, she loves you. I'll see you later, mate. And with that, we kept going where we were going, but the man turned around, he picked up all of his things and he went home. And it was one of the most, like, profound experiences I've ever had of just not pulling someone away. They had this wonderful little connection and I think I'm going to actually, it sort of sets up what I'm talking about today. So I thought I'd share it with you and we might come back to it um, a little bit at the end. But when, when we walked away, my three-year-old looked at me and he goes, he was weird. 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, he was. So, but he was nice though. And he's like, yeah, he was. And we kept walking. He wasn't traumatized by the thing at all. He just completely accepted that sometimes people swear angrily and then when you're nice to them, they chill. And that's something that's now in his brain. And so I wanted to kind of set that up for this week because this week I'm I'm talking about prejudice. Um, so I was like, you know, good job. Uh, <laughs> you giving me that experience just as I'm trying to kind of piece this together. Um, the particular section of acts that I'm talking about is, is really the section where we start to see um, the gospel being preached to the to the Gentiles, and it's not the, just the Jewish people anymore. It's the Gentiles. It's everybody, and it's that moment of the early church really having to overcome prejudices in order to keep spreading Jesus's word. And I really thought, looking at this week, I was like, "This is going to be easy." You know, prejudice bad. We can go home. Well done. Um, <laughs> so bye, everyone. Um, but when I write a, a sermon, I try to I try to have a really honest moment with myself about. The content, like prayer is so important and research is so important and reading your Bible is so important, but a moment of really brutal honesty with yourself is really important as well. And I realised um, there's something that's been going on this week where my prejudices have kicked in in a, in a not flattering way, which is that watching what was happening with that submarine, I was only really sad about the 19-year-old, if I'm being honest. I, I prejudged the other people in that situation and I was only really sad about the 19-year-old. And I was like, oh, buddy, <laughs> you got this as bad as everybody, as bad as anybody. And so <clears throat> after that wonderfully, you know, not feeling great about myself moment of honesty, I really started to think about why is this something that we do as a default behaviour? Why is prejudice something that we just do? And so I, you know, being the nerd that I am, I went for a little bit of research and uh, actually found out there's three reasons. There's actually three neurological reasons why we do this. And I actually thought we could go through them today because each of these reasons that we do it are overridden by this passage and are challenged by this passage. And what I always think is wonderful when we look at a behaviour of ourselves that we judge very harshly, as I do my own prejudices when I saw, really saw them for what they were, is, is understanding why we do the thing makes it so much easier to overcome the thing. So that's what I'm going to mostly talk about today. So there's three. Yeah, if you, yeah, three. The first one is that we prejudge people based on essentially a matrix of generalizations that we have about the world. This is actually sort of the way our brains are wired. We're actually made for categorizing things. Um, you know, if you think about like, you know, cave-dwelling selves of yonder year. Um, we work out, you know, these berries are poisonous. These ones are, are tasty. We can eat them. These animals like to be petted. These ones are going to bite your arm off. Um, this type of weather needs a jacket. This type of weather needs sunscreen. And it's kind of the way that our brains organise our life um, in order to keep us safe. And honestly, it's really logical because who can remember that many things? Who can really empirically test which of the foods is going to kill us? We need category, Right. But the problem is, is that we actually start to apply that to people as well. Um, there was a research study recently that said if you live in an ur urban area, it's likely that you have a you pass about a thousand people a day. That's how many people you have some sort of contact with. Now, obviously, if you work from home, and never leave your house. That's probably not you, and that's fine. If you live in a city, it's probably higher than that. But we're kind of averaging around a thousand people that we pass every single day, and our little like 
mammal brains really can't handle the idea of a thousand individual people. Like, look at looking around the room, how many people we have here. This is not a thousand, and that still feels like a lot of really interesting, deep, complex, different human beings. So, a thousand really is more than we can we can really handle. Um, so, in order to cope, our brain actually categorizes. And it's not like inherently a bad thing. Like we teach children in, if they're lost out in public to find a woman because statistically they're less likely to harm them. Doesn't mean all the men will, just that's what we teach small children. Um, it's safe. It's sort of a safe bet because kids aren't supposed to be unsupervised anyway. Emergency situation, that's what we're going to teach them to do. But I suppose that's really the thing is that this categorization, it's a characteristic of children. And we're trying to be mature Christians. And so we have to actually look a little bit deeper. And that's when we actually come to the passage that I'm talking about today, which is about um, a man called Cornelius. I don't know if any of you are super um, familiar with him, but if you are, aren't, aren't, if you aren't, um, Cornelius was a Gentile and he, he was a pretty good guy. Like he gave to the poor, he prayed a lot, he and his whole family did. They were really committed, but um, they weren't Jewish. And he had been praying sort of nonstop to have connection with, with God and all this sort of thing. And um, one time when he was praying, uh, God heard him. He sent an angel who said, you know, contact Peter. This, this Jewish man, Peter, contact him. Um, that's the way forward. At the same time, Peter receives this vision. Um, he was really hungry at the time, so I'm assuming the metaphor is about animals and, and eating I, that's what I'm like if I'm hungry. It's like, God, you're going to have to talk to me about food. That's, that's just what it's going to have to be. So Peter's hungry and Peter talks and God talks to him and said, you can eat all of the animals, right? This being a metaphor for you can preach the gospel to everybody. And because he was hungry, he got the metaphor because food. So when Cornelius actually sends out this message to Peter, Peter's initially like, what? Is this Gentile guy? Like, why would I? do that. And then he remembers this vision and he actually goes and he, he eats with him and he sits with him and he's able to preach the gospel to not just him, but everybody that's in the room who are also Gentiles. And there's this little quote from Acts 10, 34 to 35. It says, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And had Peter gone with his original categorization of people, which we know our brains do, he would have ignored Cornelius and he's honestly one of the most remembered Gentile conversions because it talks about him a fair chunk in the Bible. This wasn't because because Peter ignored that Cornelius was a Gentile. He still had that information but he, showed, he chose to see beyond it and look for more data about this person because God encouraged him to do so. He looked for more information and he found it. And I think if you're the sort of person, like I mean like we all are, that assumes things because of that very benign generalisation that's a really good next step. What's the, what's the further information about this person that I could be finding? That's the nice, friendly, lovely reason why we do this. Now we're going to go a little deeper. A second reason, and honestly, like, the internet felt like it was attacking me at this point, um, we dislike people because they remind us of ourselves. That is one of the most common reasons for disliking someone. Did you know that? I felt like... <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, okay. Um, this is going into dislike now. We're moving on to just benign miscategorization. We're actually looking into who the people we really don't like, the people we're like, I'm going to move away from you. Research has shown that the people who annoy us the most are the ones that have the same flaws as us. 
So the things that we don't like about ourselves and we see in someone else, that makes us really dislike them, um, especially if we feel like we worked on this particular flaw, <laughs> doubly so. Um, if you've worked really hard to stop biting your fingernails and you see someone else do it, you're really likely to be irritated by the person biting the fingernails because um, it reminds you of the person that you once were, right? <laughs> so as humans, we have this tendency to be a little bit prejudiced against people who remind us of ourselves and we distance ourselves from, you know, the party-going friends because we've kicked the habit and they remind us of who we were and, unfortunately, who we could also be again, right? We distance ourselves from people who talk too much because we're afraid that we do the same, <laughs> And we see this happening in the Bible kind of over and over again. In um, Acts 11, 1 to 3, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And you can just kind of see the disgust in the language of what he's done. They criticised him for going to the house of people who, according to them, were not clean yet. They weren't reformed, right? They were, these uncircumcised people were a reminder of how they were, probably as children, given that's kind of when it happens. <laughs> like they're thinking of them like as infants, as someone who's not committed to the faith because they're the way that they were. And so they sort of distance ourselves. God's pretty clear on that not being the case. In fact, um, Ironically, we're probably best suited to disciple towards the people who remind us of our old selves. Um, no one really wants to follow a guide somewhere who hasn't been on the trip before. Um, so finding and evaluating where you've done your most growth will show you who you're most likely to be prejudiced towards. All right. <laughs> and who you're most likely to be able to help. We, want to, we have to see like our past selves in order to overcome prejudice and really engage in a way that God wants us to. So that's the second reason that we might be prejudiced towards someone is, yeah, they remind us of, yeah, how we were. <laughs> the third one, which is probably the scariest one, is that um, we're prejudiced towards people and because we fear that they might hurt us due to a past experience. Um. The most frightening I think of these is when we're prejudging someone based on how someone in the past has behaved for who has the same characteristics of the person that's in front of you. Um, and it kind of goes both ways. We're likely to trust people who remind us of trustworthy people in our lives uh, as well as distance ourselves from people who remind us of people who are untrustworthy or unsafe. Um, this one actually needs a little bit of extra care for ourselves. When we're young in particular, we, we spend a lot of our childhood learning what is safe for us and what's not. And we carry that with us largely for the rest of our lives and it can affect us if we really don't deal with it properly. Um, I, I've been training as a counsellor, as is Pauline's nodding because she's done this same <laughs> course. <laughs> um, and I, I've mostly worked in, in trauma, in traumatised people. And um, the one thing that we often invite our clients to do into this space um, is to be curious about our reactions to things. We can ask ourselves questions like, when we feel ourselves pulling away from another human being, what are we feeling? What does this remind us of? Who do they remind us of? How old do we feel right now? Because that'll give you a bit of a timeline of where you're, where you're thinking. And by really seeing ourselves and our reactions, we can actually see beyond that panic and fear and see what's really going on inside ourselves. 
And maybe the objective answer is that this person is unsafe and we should absolutely keep our distance and we have to be open to that too. But at other times, it's going to tell us to just take a moment. It's going to comfort ourselves and comfort our past self and persist. Often what we perceive as someone who is dangerous is really someone who is afraid. And if we're able to keep calm, we can both keep safe and really sort of meet in the trenches. And it really comes down to seeing. And that's what really has come out of this, this exploration, I guess, for me. So when I'm thinking about that man at the very, very beginning, that schizophrenic man who, I mean, I don't know who's schizophrenic, but that's how he was presenting, uh, clearing my, did not diagnose him. Uh, <laughs> being seen actually really helped him. I tried to work out why it helped. It took me ages. I was really sitting there going, why did me saying hi and my son waving, why did that help? Like he was so clearly so distressed. And what I kept coming back to is that he felt seen. He felt seen as a non-dangerous but maybe not well person. It regulated him and it helped him kind of head off on his way. There's a reason that we use the term blinded by prejudice. Um, It's because when we rely on those initial impressions or even our later impressions, we don't really see people. We're seeing our categorization. We're we're seeing the old version of us. We're seeing our traumatised, fearful selves. We're not seeing that person. Uh, And with that... Without really seeing people, how can we possibly help them to see Christ? People who don't feel seen are often not able to see. I also needed to see myself properly in order for this interaction with this man to work. I really had to see my knee-jerk reaction to pull my three-year-old away because it was there. It was definitely there. It was just grabbing. I had to calm myself and I really had to assess the situation. Was this man dangerous? Or was he just afraid? When I was able to be calm about it, I realised it was the second one. He also wasn't even that close to me. Like, why was I freaking out so much? Overcoming prejudice, which is something that I think the Bible asks us time and time again to do. It's not about just trying to ignore our biases. It's about facing them head on and asking them to step down for the moment. It's about the choice to really look when God when God puts someone in front of you, because he does all the time. You've got to look both at yourself and at them. It's about a choice to really see, to really see another human being. And that feels overwhelming. It feels exhausting. If we see a 1,000 people a day, that feels huge, right? But if an entire church, church, the church, not just this church, the church, really chooses to see people, You can just imagine how honestly completely unstoppable that faith would be. And that is all I had. I'm going to sneak off.